This is a recording of Remembering and Honoring Maori Latter-day Saints by Lewis Midgley, published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, and read by Lewis Midgley. Remembering and Honoring Maori Latter-day Saints. This is a review of Robert Joseph, Intercultural Exchange, Matakite Maori, and the Mormon Church, originally published in Mana Maori and Christianity by Huya Publishers in 2012, and also Selwyn Cottony, editor, Turning the Hearts of the Children, Early Maori Leaders in the Mormon Church, published by Steele Roberts in 2014. Abstract. Dr. Robert Rob Joseph essay on Maori Matakite Sears is described and assessed along with the contents of a book edited by Dr. Selwyn Cottony consisting of essays on 12 19th century Maori Latter-day Saint leaders. All of these essays are indications that Maori scholars are setting out and defending the Maori Latter-day Saint narrative. These essays also make available to future generations the stories of some of the Maori who subsequently helped to set in place a Maori community of Latter-day Saints in Aotearoa, now the official Maori name for all of New Zealand rather than merely the name for the North Island. One crucial fact is that there were divine special revelations to Maori seers that opened the way for the message brought to them by Latter-day Saint missionaries. These essays will help Maori saints and others remember and honor earlier encounters with the divine that yielded what was for at least a hundred years primarily a Maori community of saints in New Zealand. A personal prolegomena. Why am I again opining on Maori things? I grew up hearing stories about how the Maori came to be Latter-day Saints household. Several in my extended family served as Latter-day Saint missionaries in New Zealand, including my older brother, Rushby C. Midgley Jr., first under my uncle, M. Charles Woods, 1935-1938, and then under Matthew Cowley, 1938-1945, who was my father's close friend. In addition, some Maori saints visited my family and one lived with us for a while. As a missionary in New Zealand in 1950-1952, I heard additional stories of how various whanau, extended families, had come to be Latter-day Saints. I wrongly assumed that others had recorded these stories, which was most often not the case. Hence, I very much applaud efforts to assemble accurate accounts of these remarkable stories. In 1950, my initial missionary assignment was north of Auckland in the area around Whangarei and the Bay of Islands. In my first and subsequent encounters with Maori Latter-day Saints, and also with 
Maori who were not Latter-day Saints. I discovered a people not yet affected by enervating post-enlightenment skepticism about divine things. Though they were often candid about their own struggles with the lusts of the flesh, even some non-Latter-day Saints saw in the account of the recovery of the Book of Mormon and also embedded in the narratives and messages contained in that book the lessons that, if acted upon, would eventually make them genuine saints. By contrast, non-Maori were, if not hostile, very skeptical about our message and insisted on arguing about whether or not it is true. In addition, the Maori did not see in what we taught something at odds with their own deepest beliefs, but as an extension, correction, and even vindication of those beliefs. I also discovered that faithful Maori saints did not focus on the quirks of Latter-day Saint mission presidents, nor on the foibles of immature missionaries from the United States and Canada. Instead, they had charity toward mission presidents who, in the way they presided over the saints, were not always consistent or wise, and they also manifested a genuine love for young, immature, inexperienced Latter-day Saint missionaries. I was a benefactor of such love. In addition, I also discovered that special divine revelations were not for many Maori a scandal or stumbling block, though they have begun to be for those colonized by a European secular ideology that is profoundly skeptical about divine things. A version of the, of the ideology can now be seen in the opinions of a few Kiwi critics of their former faith, hence the need for the kinds of essays I wish to introduce. Launching turning the hearts, remembering, and honoring. On 23 October 2014, a HUI conference was held in Waika at Waikato University in Hamilton, New Zealand. The title of this gathering was A Symposium to Commemorate the 160th Anniversary of the Mormon Church in New Zealand, the 125th Anniversary of the translation of the Book of Mormon into Maori and early Maori-Mormon leaders book launch. The conference was chaired by Rob Joseph, Selwyn Cottony introduced Turning the Hearts and various versions of several of these essays were presented. The 12 essays in Turning the Hearts challenge the cultural ignorance and resulting insensitivities as well as the often overt and covert secular assumptions, biases, and the resulting skepticism that one finds in accounts written by some non-Maori who have been indoctrinated in and enthralled by secular categories, assumptions, and explanations found in the dominant non-Maori intellectual culture. I urge non-Maori who are interested 
in the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Aotearoa, New Zealand, to take seriously what faithful Maori saints have to say about the faith of Maori saints past and present. In the introduction to the twelve essays in Turning the Hearts, Selwyn Cotney indicates that a crucial aim of this book is to help the present cohort of church members to remember and honor contributions from past leaders. The Latter-day Saints addressed in Turning the Hearts include the following. Hirani Te Rito Fauna, 1825-1905. Hemi Te Fatahoro Juri, 1841-1923. Raihi Miraka Kawani Nawaka, 1830-1933. Nahuya Pai Keka Chase, 1857-1943. Percy Stanley Connerton Going, 1868-1940. Hohepa Hepri, 1870-1964. Te Rafati Pirata, 1876-1931. Stuart Mayhaw, 1878-1963. Wetakia Ruruku Elkington, 1879-1957. Sidney Christie, 1883-1955. Pari Takana, or Polly Duncan, 1892-1974. Turaka Manuiri Rangi, 1896-1969. Cotney explains that those whose lives and faith are dealt with in turning the hearts were matriarchs, high priests, and politicians, or each of whom, with the exception of Percy Goyne, was of Maori ethnicity. They were also born in the 19th century. The authors of these biographical essays, all members of the extended family of those early leader, leaders, had access to the currently available oral and textual sources, as well as Fanao extended family approval and support, which Maori feel is necessary and hence seek. In addition, four of these essays examine the faith of Maori women, and six of the authors of these essays are women. Without the availability of accurate, detailed, written accounts, the Maori past is easily lost and forgotten, and some of the important grounds and contents of faith are impoverished or may wither. This collection of biographical vignettes is an effort to remember and thereby bolster, deepen, renew, and restore the faith of Maori Latter-day Saints and all who love the Lord. Maori are, of course, the primary audience of Turning the Hearts. However, those who have served as Latter-day Saint missionaries in Aotearoa, New Zealand, constitute an important potential secondary audience. 
if they have not had the privilege of actually knowing any of those whose lives and times are described in these essays, then they have known some of their descendants or heard stories about these and other faithful Maori saints. But there should be also other audiences for this literature. Both the essay by Dr. Robert Joseph and the collection of essays edited by Dr. Selwyn Cotney are readily available to Maori and others saints in Aotearoa, New Zealand. However, their being published in New Zealand makes them less accessible elsewhere. The contents of Turning the Hearts and Rob Joseph's essay are evidence that the Maori saints are preserving the Maori Latter-day Saint narrative by keeping some significant events and people in remembrance. What Rob Joseph calls the Mormon historical narrative ought to be retained in remembrance by Maori saints. It should also be taken seriously by Latter-day Saint historians as well as non-Latter-day Saint scholars, a prepared people. Rob Joseph provides a detailed account of some but not all of the proclamations by Maori Matakite seers that prepared Maori in some iwi tribes for both Latter-day Saint missionaries and the contents of their message. And in his editor's introduction to Turning the Hearts, Cottony sets out a Maori understanding of the Maori traditional religion, which, while also drawing on Rob Joseph's essay, in his own account of the role of Maori Matakite and their crucial role in opening the way for Latter-day Saint missionaries and their message, Rob Joseph demonstrates that although Latter-day Saint missionaries had no way of, of anticipating it, Maori Tohunga ironically predicted that the fullness of religious truth and salvation would come to Maori from Pakia, and that these Pakia European messengers turned out to be Latter-day Saint missionaries. He explains, quote, that a number of Tahunga Matakite make made significant prophecies concerning the coming to Aotearoa, New Zealand, of a true church. In the Mormon historical narrative, as a result of such prophetic utterances, a number of Maori in certain tribal areas ultimately joined the Mormon church. End of quote. Then, after apologizing in advance, Quote, to those Mormon, Maori, Fanao, Hapu, and Iwi, that is, extended families, sub-tribes, and tribes, whose stories he could not include in his essay, he sets out proclamations, the proclamations made by a few of the Maori seers who opened the way for the conversions of Maori to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 
He examines in detail the statements made by the following Maori Matakite, Arama Te Toi Roa, Paora Te Potangaroa, and King Tafiao, also woven into his detailed treatment of King Tafiao's opinions, is a commentary on Roma Heruru Ruruku and his daughter Wetakia Ruruku Elkington, who was herself a seer. He also introduces his essay by describing how traditional Maori ways were transformed and severely eroded by British colonialism. The arrival of colonists in New Zealand led to an immediate, rapid challenge to the customs, social controls, and way of life of a previously Stone Age people. However, the Maori adapted rapidly to much of the new material culture of the British colonists brought to them, including such things as woolen clothing, leather shoes, alcohol, and especially muskets, which they soon used to settle accounts between competing tribes. The Maori did not, of course, choose to have their land stolen by the new settlers. In a cynical effort to gobble up their land, their new masters sought to destroy many of the key traditional ways of the Maori. Anglican, Methodist, and Roman Catholic missionaries who arrived with the first settlers soon managed to make most Maori Christian, who soon found, who soon soured on the version of Christian faith brought to them by those missionaries, especially when they sided with the crown as efforts were made to steal Maori land. But the picture is more complicated. Christian missionaries sought to suppress Maori atua, gods, and hence also traditional modes of Maori piety as, as and also Maori moral restraint. They were not, however, entirely successful. Hence, the work of those first Christian missionaries also facilitated our own subsequent missionary endeavors among them by introducing literacy and also by making the Bible available in Maori. But there is more. Beginning late in 1882, Latter-day Saint missionaries soon discovered that those Christian missionaries who then, as now, discounted the importance of revelation dreams and visions, had thereby inadvertently assisted Latter-day Saint missionary endeavors. The reason is that they seemed to the Maori to have lost contact with their own god. Hence, some crucial older Maori ways worked to the missionaries' advantage, despite or because of the efforts of Christian missionaries and at times in subtle opposition to them. Both Protestant and Roman Catholic missionaries downplayed or flatly rejected Maori beliefs that easily found an important place in the faith of Maori saints. In addition, an elite of male Maori 
were being taught cosmological mysteries in Fariwana, a house of learning, and some Tohunga Matakite, as Rob Joseph demonstrates, had also prepared some Maori for the arrival and message of Latter-day Saint missionaries. Maori Tohunga Matakite, Sears, prepared the way and opened the door for the saints' missionary endeavors. And much like the Maori, Latter-day Saint missionaries did not teach that the heavens were closed to special divine revelations. Hence, some Maori discovered that crucial elements of their traditional world were compatible with what Latter-day Saint missionaries brought to them. In 1950, I soon became aware that while Maori were often remarkably open to divine special revelations, the Pākehā and their preachers, much like those who first brought Christianity to Aotearoa, were more or less dominated by post-enlightenment skepticism about divine things. Maori were able, however, to see affinities between elements of their own traditional world and their new Latter-day Saint faith, some of which is celebrated in the essays under review. The Maori Latter-day Saint Narrative In the preface to her fine narrative history of the first hundred years of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in New Zealand, Marjorie Newton indicated that she realized that Quote, As an Australian, I am vulnerable to errors of fact and interpretation in both New Zealand and American history, and especially in Maori culture. I hope that one day a Maori historian will produce a scholarly history of Mormonism in New Zealand that will remedy any omission and defects in my works. I also hope to see additional work done with the hundreds of stories of New Zealand saints, both Maori and Pākehā, that are still waiting to be told. The most interesting and challenging end of quote, the most interesting and challenging portion of the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints in Aotearoa is the story of the Maori community of saints. Faithful Maori saints are, I believe, those most likely to know, understand, and appreciate the subtle elements of changing patterns in Maori ways. They are also best able to select from the welter of Maori customs and traditions the most basic and noble features, and also to figure out which are truly base and degrading. For this and other reasons, I insist that faithful Maori scholars are best suited to provide an explanation of the faith of Maori saints. Both the essay by Robert Rob Joseph and the collection of essays by Selwyn Cotney demonstrate that Newton's hope that Maori scholars would eventually remedy the omissions and defects of previous historical accounts of the faith of Maori Latter-day Saints is now taking place. 
Maori saints are beginning to assemble what Newton has described correctly as, quote, the hundreds of stories of New, Zeal- of New Zealand saints, both Maori and Pākehā, end of quote. Newton indicates that, quote, much of this gap is being filled by Rangi Parker, whose dedicated work over many years in collecting and preserving stories and photographic records of the Maori saints and Mormon missionaries is unique and is now receiving the recognition it deserves, end of quote. Rangi Parker has assembled both historical materials, including something like 40,000 Latter-day Saint missionary photographs of primarily Maori saints, going back to the beginnings of missionary work among the Maori, and she has been able to identify many of the places where the photographs were taken and the names of most of those in the photographs. Maori scholars are also making efforts to preserve and enhance the memory of what often made their ancestors remarkable Latter-day Saints. Faithful Stories, Stories of Faith Rob Joseph has carefully uncovered the details of the proclamations of Maori Matakite that prepared Maori in some iwi tribes for both Latter-day Saint missionaries and for the contents of their messages. And Dr. Cotney often cites Rob Joseph's essay in his introduction, where he describes the crucial role of Maori seers in preparing the way for the message of Latter-day Saint missionaries, which is integrated with a description of the reception of Latter-day Saint missionary messages that fit rather snugly with the traditional Maori religion, which it both supplemented and corrected. Accurate and culturally sensitive accounts of the lives and experiences of various Maori saints, as well as assessments of their contributions to the kingdom of God in Aotearoa, are now very much needed. What grounded and sustained the faith of Maori saints when they were still fully in the grips of an oral culture is no longer the case. The remedy is rich, accurate, written accounts. Elsewhere, I have demonstrated that there is increased interest in recovering and preserving the crucial memory of what made the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints essentially Maori during much of the first century in New Zealand. I highly recommend the fine collection of essays by Dr. Selwyn Cotney. These essays were written by descendants of those he describes in the subtitle of his book as Early Maori Leaders in the Mormon Church. This intriguing book is, among other things, an effort to remember and hence also honor some of the truly noteworthy early 
Maori founding mothers and fathers of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in New Zealand. It is also a contribution to the history of the faith of Maori saints from a genuinely Maori perspective. These essays are not, as is typical of other excellent accounts, primarily dependent on and derived from the opinions of Latter-day Saint missionaries and mission presidents. <clears throat> In addition, this is not an institutional history. Instead, these essays express the faith of Maori Latter-day Saints and hence also manifest their personal piety. These essays give voice to earlier Maori saints. They are also not set out in secular categories, nor are they grounded in secular assumptions, which is unfortunately sometimes the case with accounts written by others about the faith of Maori saints. Instead, these essays set out the Latter-day Saint Maori narrative, the ways of remembrance. Remembering the mighty acts of God on our behalf is a crucial element of the faith of all genuine Latter-day Saints. Why? On virtually every Sabbath, faithful saints assemble to renew their covenants by offering to God their, quote, broken hearts and contrite spirit. As a communal prayer is read, asking God first to sanctify bread to, quote, the souls of all those who partake of it, that they may eat in remembrance of the body of the, thy son, end of quote. And then, quote, that they are willing to remember him and keep his commandments, end of quote, as they consume the emblem to indicate that they genuinely desire to have, quote, his spirit to be with them always, end of quote, found in Moroni 4 and Doctrine and Covenants 20. This ritual memorial meal with which the saints renew their covenants with God is also a manifestation of individual and collective turning or returning to God, that is, repentance. Saints must desire to have the assistance of the Holy Spirit and hence be sanctified. For this to happen, they must also remember the ominous stories of previous carnal captivity and then the joyful liberation from sin as well as their own past encounters with God and his ambassadors. The larger web of such stories must be also become an integral part of, the, of their life histories. Various ways of remembrance are stressed in Latter-day Saint scriptures, which tell us that we must continually be stirred up by the ways of remembrance. This is, it turns out, the laudable primary purpose of turning the hearts. Esoteric more 
lore and the Maori story. I must again call attention to the published work of the late Dr. Cleve Barlow, who was the last Maori to be initiated in the esoteric lore of the eel cult that traditionally took place in Afari Wananga. Professor Barlow's most significant publication was Tikana Fakaro. And this standard guide to important elements of Maori culture and language, he dealt with 70 important concepts. His initiation in a Wananga in the Hokianga area of the Northland of New Zealand, and also his being a faithful Latter-day Saint, he was a convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as well as a distinguished scholar, fit him well to grasp important links between the traditional Maori lore and the faith of Latter-day Saints. I first met Professor Barlow at the Pioneers in the Pacific Conference held at BYU-Hawaii on 7-11 October 1997 to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the arrival of the Saints in the Salt Lake Valley. In 1999-2000, when, as Latter-day Saint missionaries, my wife and I directed the Lawrence Street Institute next to Auckland University of Technology and Auckland University, Professor Barlow described to me some of what he had learned in his initiation in Awananga. And he also, also his understanding of how that fit closely with his own Latter-day Saint faith. Those Maori privileged to be initiated in Awananga were made aware of the premortal existence of human beings and of the sons of Eel, the Most High God, in the highest heaven where the peopling of the earth was debated. They learned of a war of the gods between two, the Maori god of war, and also Feral, the god of evil or Hades, against Tane with his consort, the first humans on earth, and Rongo, the god of peace and prosperity, which war continues even now here below. The oldest recorded version of what was taught in Afari Wanaha was dictated in 1863 and 1865 to Hemite Fatahoro, 1841-1923, by Mohite Motorohanga and Nepia Pohutu, two of the Nati Kuhunganu and Iwi on the east coast of the North Island. This took place long before any Latter-day Saint had encountered any Maori. Eventually, a remarkable amateur ethnologist, S. Percy Smith, 1840-1922, published the Maori text and an English translation of Fatahoro's Maori manuscripts. Fatahoro eventually became a Latter-day Saint. For months in 1888, 
he helped to revise the Maori translation of the Book of Mormon. Marjorie Newton has shown that Fatahoro eventually gave his precious manuscripts to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. James E. Lambert, then New Zealand Mission President, had a fireproof vault built in the little Latter-day Saint Chapel at Scotia Place on Queen Street in Auckland to safeguard those manuscripts. Marjorie Newton has also shown that Fatahoro's manuscripts could not be sent to the church archive in Salt Lake because of the Maori Antiquities Act of 1908, and also over objections of some non-Latter-day Saint Maori. Marjorie Newton also calls attention to a failed attempt to have an aged Fatahoro travel to Salt Lake to receive his endowment. However, she seems unaware of the contents and hence the importance of Fatahoro's manuscripts. Put bluntly, she ignores the esoteric lore of the Fari Wananga. It is not my intention to set out in any detail the contents of the Fari Wananga. Maori often consider these teachings tapu, sacred, and those actually initiated in a Wanana, like Professor Barlow, felt bound by the restrictions accepted by those who underwent such instruction not to make public that into which they had been initiated. The elite of initiated Maori were for a long time able to keep most Pākehā unaware of the existence and most of the details of what was taught in a Wanana. This has led some to insist that the one initiation was fashioned by Maori after the arrival of Europeans. Bronson Ellsmore, in an influential book, indicates that, quote, in the early years of the 19th century, the entire eel cult was open to much debate, with some scholars maintaining that it was not part of the old tradition, but was post-European, being the result of Christian teachings, and others answering that the doctrine was not generally known because of the custom of the Maori to restrict the highest esoteric spiritual knowledge to selected initiates of the Pari Wananga. End of quote. The Maori who just a few generations earlier were a Stone Age people, were actually able to keep most Pākehā from knowing about the Eo cult. The initiates learned that their ultimate home, if faithful, was with Eo in the highest heaven. Those Māori initiated into the Eo cult knew of the pre-mortal existence of the souls of human beings, of a council in the deep past of those representing human beings, and also of a war that broke out over whether to people the earth, which struggle still goes on here below, between those loyal to Eo, who seek to ascend back to the highest heaven, and a demonic opposition. This does not seem to me to be a belief system 
fashioned by the Maori from Anglican, Methodist, or Roman Catholic systematic or dogmatic theology, or fashioned out of thin air after the Pākehā arrived in New Zealand. Those initiated into the eel cult saw in what Latter-day Saint missionaries taught a cosmology that fit with some of their own arcane traditional beliefs. And it also provides a clue to why those first endowed Maori saints found in the Latter-day Saint Temple endowment a correction and completion of their own deepest mysteries. There is now a growing interest among Maori in the details of their traditional arcane teachings. In addition, despite the contents of these teachings being tapu, sacred, accounts of what was set out in various wananga were preserved by Te Fatehoro and eventually published or more recently recovered. In addition, many informal wananga, such as those conducted by Herowini Jones, then by Professor Barlow, as well as others, have made traditional Maori wisdom available to interested Maori and non-Maori saints. My own experience with the Maori saints 65 years ago, and also more recently, grounds my belief that those with traces of Maori ethnicity have found within the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints a genuinely safe, life-affirming place to celebrate an honorable, even heroic past, as well as an appreciation for what is most noble and enriching in the Maori world, while also rejecting the most debasing elements. This is true for contemporary Maori. And just a glance at some of the surnames of faithful Maori saints, for instance, such non-Maori sounding surnames as, and I am not making this up, Jones, Smith, Barlow, Lambert, Midgley, Elkington, Going, and so forth, indicates that Maori ethnicity is now something chosen, exactly as is one's faith or unfaith in God. The reason is that we all may become genuine saints by both remembering the mighty acts of God on our behalf and then keeping our covenants with Him, which the essay by Rob Joseph and the essays assembled by Selwyn Cottony both demonstrate and promote. This has been a recording of Remembering and Honoring Maori Latter-day Saints, originally published in Interpreter, A Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 16, 2016, pages 275-290.
it was read by Lewis Midgley. This audio recording is copyright under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and it is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this essay and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com.